everyone deserves to have the right to be referred to in a way that makes them feel comfortable and resonates with who they truly are and how they truly want to identify. And that decision can only come from the person themselves. It's for no one else to say that's wrong or this is this. And I have received comments from people who are blind and they say, I can't believe you call yourself blind. You're, you know, I would never say that to myself. I'm always going to say I'm a partially sighted person or that like I will never succumb to that title because for them it's hurtful and it's harmful and it makes them feel sad. But for me, it's empowering. And I like being called that. And it's all personal. They're not, I'm, they're not wrong. I'm not wrong. So it's all just about opening that dialogue. I don't like to argue. So I say nothing and fume for days. How do I set boundaries without sounding like a jerk? I hate the idea that I might accidentally offend somebody. So sometimes I'd just rather say nothing at all. Welcome to the Language Alchemy Podcast, and thank you for joining me today. This is your host, Alejandra Siroca, a transformative communication teacher and coach. I am devoted to helping multicultural individuals and couples on the path of transformation transform their lives and relationships through conscious communication. I have a treat for you because today I'm interviewing a woman I admire, a woman whom I consider a powerhouse, a true badass. And uh, you know that I don't use this word very often, but she is one. And her name is Jessie Walensky. Jessie is a true social justice advocate. And since being diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa, which if you don't know, is an incurable retinal degenerative disease, She has dedicated her life to raising money and awareness for the blindness community. Jessie currently serves as the president of the Los Angeles chapter for the Foundation Fighting Blindness and has recently been awarded for the work that she and her team have done to create connection and emotional support for those who are experiencing vision loss. When Jessie was 14 years old, and I'm going to ask Jessie about her story, because when she was 14 years old, she started Jesse's Sight Savers, a fundraising group that raises money for blindness research. And she has been fortunate enough to raise a quarter million dollars so far. Coming to terms with losing her sight has been a constant struggle, but she has found peace of mind by embracing her condition and inspiring others to do the same. Jessie knows that she can't control the fact that she's going blind, but she can control how she feels about it. And she chooses to let her circumstances empower her rather than hinder her potential. Thank you so much. It's such an honor that you said yes to being a guest at the Language Alchemy podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Alejandra. I really appreciate being here and being able to share my story and hopefully shine a little bit of light about the lives of visually impaired people and what we deal with. And hopefully we can break down some stigmas and bring a little bit of awareness. So thanks for having me. Yes. Let's start by knowing a little bit about you and tell us about your story. You are an agent of transformation and your life deeply transformed at a pretty young age. Can you tell us a little bit about it? 
Definitely. I was diagnosed with this condition, retinitis pigmentosa or RP, when I was seven years old. So obviously at that time, I was still very young. My parents kind of dealt with it more, but they really told me the severity of the situation, which is that this condition causes blindness over time. They told me the severity of the situation when I was about 14 years old, which is just a very... uh, scary and complicated age in general, you know? So it was a blow. I was experiencing night vision loss. So I'm completely night blind. I don't have any peripheral vision. And the vision that I do have is slowly tunneling in until one day it will be all gone. And when I was told this news, I did not handle it well at all. I completely went off the deep end. I got involved, unfortunately, with drugs and drinking and I became very suicidal. I just kind of remember giving up on any sort of dream I had for my future because I I felt like being told I was blind was being told I was dying. Like I did not feel like I could have a life as a blind person. I didn't know blind people. People don't have this accurate story given to them about people with disabilities and how they can live happy, functional lives. So I have worked very, very, very hard over the past 16 years to kind of cultivate any sort of positive attitude in my life or confidence. And who I am as a person is really been something that I've had to work for to be able to feel good about my life. I struggle with depression through my vision loss and A lot of my story has been very, very dark and very hard to overcome. But I think that that's the coolest part about my story is I am overcoming it. And I can't choose, like I said, I can't choose that I'm going blind. I can't control that, but I control how I respond to it. And I don't want to live an unhappy life. And I'm recognizing that I don't need to, despite what I might be going through. So it's been a long, long journey. And like you said, a big uh, transitions for me. So I'm grateful to be in the place that I am now, but I think it will forever be a transition because I'm always losing more and more vision. So I'm always having to adapt to a new reality every couple of years or so. Not only that, you're also inspiring others to understand what this means, what living with a disability means, how to be authentic, how to feel powerful, how to feel happy in your body as it is while this transformation and these transitions are constantly happening for you. So I want to say, Jesse, thank you for living. Thank you. Yeah. It's taken me a very long time to realize it, but I'm very, very happy to be here. And I know that I have so much more in my life to be happy for that I'm grateful enough to recognize that I want to stick around for. And I think that The coolest part about my story and my vision loss is that just by embracing this part of myself and genuinely just by being my most authentic self, it allows me to make the world a better and more inclusive place, not only for blind people or people with disabilities, but everyone struggles with insecurity. Everyone struggles with always finding positivity in their life and trying to come to terms with things that they cannot control. So I think that By living my life in this way, I'm able to kind of put that message out there and hopefully inspire everyone to love themselves a little bit more because 
We need it. You know, we really, really need yes, it. Yes, we do. And as you said, we all struggle with insecurity. Insecurity is part of the human experience. And we all need to not just give love to others, but also to include ourselves in that love. Yes. And something that you talked about just now is stigmas. Let's talk about some stigmas. So I'm wondering from your perspective, what are some of the stigmas and the language that comes with stigmas about either people who are having any kind of disability or people who are losing their vision or have no vision? Yeah, unfortunately, stigmas are a big thing that face people with disabilities, especially blind people. The biggest stigma facing blind people is that you either are 100% sighted or 100% sightless. So I think that a lot of people, if I say I'm blind, they say, oh, but you're making eye contact with me. You can see some things. And people don't realize less than 10% of blind people actually see nothing. So blindness is a spectrum, which is the biggest you know, language clue that I can kind of give to people is it is a spectrum, pretty much like every other disability as well. So there are people who use wheelchairs who can still walk. There are deaf people who can still hear things. I'm a blind person who can still see. So I think that's a big, a big thing when it comes to the language and how we're referred to. However, there are some blind people who don't like to be referred to as blind. Maybe they prefer visually impaired, partially sighted, sight challenge. You know, it's a very personal thing. So I think that the most powerful thing that someone can do is ask every person with a disability or ask every person who suffers from vision loss, how do you want to be referred to as? And I think that's a huge thing. There's a big conversation in the disabled community about person first language and identity first language, which I'm sure you're familiar with for those mm-hmm. listening who might not be. Person first language is when you talk about the person themselves and then their condition. So I would say I'm Jesse and I'm blind. But identity first language is taking the disability and putting it in the forefront. So I'd say like, this is my blind friend, Jesse, or something like that. And some people prefer one way and some people prefer the other way. So I think that that's another thing where it's very helpful to ask people, how do you want to be identified as? For me, I am comfortable with person-first language or identity-first language. I encourage people to use person-first language right off the bat before they know how someone feels about it. But that's just a personal preference. That's something I've learned from school. I was studying to be a teacher. So I would refer to students in that way before I knew if they were comfortable with identity-first language. I think a big thing is that people with disabilities, we don't want to just be seen as our disability. Yes, I'm a blind woman, but I'm so many other things. We we don't want to see just people reducing us down to a disability. And a lot of that has to do with the specific language that is used around how we refer to these disabilities. You're calling us to be mindful and respectful of how others want to be addressed, how others want to be referred as and also how others identify and respect that identification. I think that a lot of times, especially during these times when sometimes people think, oh, I want to say the right thing or I want to be politically correct. 
but we're all unique individuals and we have a choice as to how we want to be perceived. We want to be named. We want to be referred as. And um, sometimes that choice is, feels choiceless. This is who I am. So please call me or talk about me in in this way. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I always kind of compare it to pronouns. You know, it's like everyone deserves to have the right to be referred to in a way that makes them feel comfortable and resonates with who they truly are and how they truly want to identify. And that decision can only come from the person themselves. It's for no one else to say that's wrong or this is this. And I have received comments from people who are blind and they say, I can't believe you call yourself blind. You're, you know, I would never say that to myself. I w- I'm always going to say I'm a partially sighted person or that like I will never succumb to that title because for them it's hurtful and it's harmful and it makes them feel sad. But for me, it's empowering and I like being called that. And it's all personal. They're not, I'm, they're not wrong. I'm not wrong. So it's all just about opening that dialogue and finding out what makes other people comfortable because they're entitled to it just the same way that I am. So I think being able to be comfortable with bringing that up is essential. Yes. And what you're bringing up here is how important the power of language is. How by saying certain words, it resonates for some people in some way and has a different meaning and a different resonance, a different energetic value to others. And not to be in this right, wrong paradigm, but just being able to open up to the infinite possibilities that language offers us to respect how others use language and want us to use language when we talk about them. You and I have had conversations about being at a restaurant, being at the airport and overhearing people talking about you in in ways that were microaggressive. Can you give us some examples of your experience? Oh, yeah. And I overhear a lot. And it's very interesting the types of things that I'll experience just in a day-to-day, whether or not it's just overhearing. But unfortunately, I have had a lot of people say certain things to me that have kind of made me feel like I'm reduced to just my disability, which have been very uncomfortable. I have certain experiences where people, they don't talk directly to me. They will speak to the person next to me. Like if I'm at a restaurant, I'm ordering. They'll say, what does she want to eat? And I'll, you know, look at them and I'll say, oh, I'd like this. And they're still, they still won't speak to me. They'll talk to the person next to me. And, and I think that that's such an unfortunate thing because I think people are just kind of uncomfortable, maybe around people or in situations that they're not familiar with. It's not common to meet a blind person. So, and we don't really have a lot of education about what it really means to communicate with people with disabilities. So it's just that ignorance, that uncomfortability that can cause them to respond to me in a way that's very hurtful to me, but they're not meaning to be hurtful. So I think I cannot take it personally. That I've had other situations where I've had people that I'm dating, their parents tell me that they don't want me to be dating their child because they think that I am, you know, an inadequate partner. And I was told that by an ex-boyfriend's dad and it rocked my world because... They didn't see me as as me, Jesse, the person who has a lot to offer in relationships. And they just saw me as this person who was not going to be able to give their son a quote unquote normal life. It's unfortunate because I think the reality of being in my life is, yeah, there are just different 
things that occur because I can't see. So yeah, don't ask me for rides. You're going to be having to drive us places if that's annoying for you. I'm not the one, you know, for you. I'm not meant to be in your life. So I think I'm also working hard not to take those types of things personally as well, because it's obviously not about me. It's just about how they view my disability. But then I also feel very called to raise awareness and education for what blindness is really like, because I don't want people to just be reduced to their disability, you know, and I want people to know that they they could be so much more. But it's hard living in a world that's not designed for you. So as someone with a disability, it's just it's just not designed for me in mind in terms of ability level, in terms of education. So I think that's where my role comes in. The role that I've kind of adopted and chosen is I'm here to educate and break down stigmas and bring awareness and hopefully help educate people on what language they can use when interacting with me, when referring to me and helping people learn how to be as respectful as possible rather than saying, oh, don't communicate with her, don't talk to her, don't look at her or maybe patronizing me in the way they talk to me, talking to me like I'm a child or certain things that are incredibly offensive. But I think it all just comes from ignorance rather than truly wanting to be harmful. Yes, I can imagine how painful that is and how hard it is to not take it personally sometimes. How sometimes you may feel sad. Other times you may feel heartbroken. Other times furious and enraged. And other times you may feel like full of grace and compassion and, oh, well, this person doesn't know. But there's a lot of internal work that you probably need to constantly do. Is that accurate to to be in a place of knowing who you are, knowing this aspect of yourself is one aspect of you. People are going to respond or react to it in different ways. And um, they cannot tell you who you are. You know all that you are. That is the best way to say it. I couldn't have said it any better because, yeah, it's so true. It's been such a journey for me. Like when I had this ex-boyfriend whose father told me this, I was 20 years old, still young and impressionable and insecure about who I was and my disability. And, you know, now I'm 30 years old. So it's been quite a lot of self-work to be able to get to the place where I know who I am. I know what I bring to the table. I'm not allowing anyone else to write the narrative of my story. And they can think whatever they want to think about me and about my condition. But I'm in the driver's seat, you know, ha 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 place I've never been, but of my own life, you know, so it's like, I have to write the rules for myself. And I am in control of how I view myself and of what I put out there. And I do a lot of work to be able to build up my confidence and and my self worth. And it's it's a journey. I'm constantly, constantly working at it. But that's how I know that it's possible to create a happy life. You know, I I do it every day, despite what I'm going through. So I used to really think I'm a victim of my circumstances. I'm just going to be depressed forever. I can't help this. I can't control this. And I was so hesitant if anyone wanted to offer me advice or any way that I can get out of that mindset. I said, I feel bad. How dare you tell me I can feel any other way? You don't know what this is like. So I'm going to feel this way. And I had to realize, yeah, I can't control this, but I don't want to sit here being sad about my life all the time. And I don't have to. 
it's going to be different. I'm going to experience life in very different ways. I have to do things differently, but that's an aspect of being unique. And I'm leaning into that more as a, a strength and rather than something that slows me down or really hinders my life. It sounds like you've shifted that internal language from I am a victim, I can't, it will forever be this way to I can. I am writing the narrative of my life. I am writing my story. I am being authentic. The word authentic and author have the same root in the etymology. So to be authentic is to be the author of your life. So you are being the author of your life and you had to shift that language within yourself to then have a different mindset that can give you such a purposeful and beautiful life that I know you have. It's so true. I think that that also speaks to the the greater story that like we all can control our own story. And we none of us have to say, oh, well, this is what's happened to me. This is what I've experienced. So this is how my life is always going to be. I'm always going to feel this way. Like there's no always. And I think that everyone, everyone has the power to create the lives that they want regardless of what they might be experiencing, regardless of the things that they might not be able to control or change, I will always stress that how we respond to it is always in our control. So the more that we lean into that and recognize we have the power to shape our reality, that is where our strength lies. That is who we really are. That's where our character comes from, is how we choose to respond to the things we can't control. And it's been a long journey for me, but I recognize my power and I lean into it. And I'm very, very grateful to be able to do that and to practice it because it is a practice. Definitely. I don't want people to think that you flip a switch and one day you're fine. You know, it's work, but it's it's worth the work. Thank you. I just feel so inspired. And so far, what I'm hearing is that when we encounter someone or when we ourselves notice that we have been diagnosed with a disability or we came to this world with one or we meet someone that we perceive they have a disability or they tell us they have a disability. It sounds like you're inviting us, first of all, to enter into dialogue and have a conversation with that person. And secondly, to ask them what would be respectful? How does that person want to be addressed? In what kind of way? Through their person language, through their identity? And then the third thing is to not make an assumption, one that we know uh, what what's going on for the other person, but also not to make an assumption that things will consistently be the same. Like in your case, things are progressing. The retinitis pigmentosa is having a different impact now than it did two years ago. And who knows what's going to happen in the future. So we can't really assume that it's always going to be the same. And also to communicate with people directly and not to dis- disrespect people by treating them like a child, talking to them in the third person, addressing someone else. Anything else that you'd like to share with us as to how we can raise our awareness to be mindful, respectful, and really honor all that you are. I think that you summed it up very, very well. Those are definitely the key points to starting the conversation with how we change, how we view people with disabilities. And I think in my case, you know, when we talk about my specific vision loss, I have no peripheral vision. It's tunneling in. 
where my central vision is starting to go. But then there's conditions where it's the opposite, where they have peripheral vision and no central vision. People have blind spots or people, you know, so there's like so many different levels of blindness. Not only is it a spectrum in the way that someone with my condition could have 20 degrees more vision or less vision, but the types of vision loss are so different. It's the same with other disabilities as well, where, like I said, some people on a wheelchair can walk. Maybe they could walk a couple steps. Maybe another one could walk a mile. Like it, it's so different for each person. So the more that we individualize the conversation and it's not like, oh, well, I had this family member who was blind. So I know how to help you in this way. Don't worry. I know what to do. It's like, let me be the one to tell you how you can help me because I'm the only one who knows how to experience what's going on for myself, you know? So it's not like you can take that other person's experience and place it onto me and have it be correct. So I think that the more that people recognize the need to bring up the simple question of how can I show up for you? What does help look like for you? Or even just in the respect of some people like me, I like to answer questions about my disability. I always welcome the opportunity because it'll help me break down those barriers and help people understand me more. And there's other people who don't want to talk about it. So I think respect them either way. You can ask instead of saying, oh, tell me about your disability. You could say, may I ask you about your disability? May I ask you some questions? And if they say no, respect that. And I think that that's true for anything. So just you don't want to treat it as something that you have an entitlement to their information because it's very personal for some people. So I think that all we can do with anything is respect someone as an individual and whatever they want to share or not share, but recognize that you can never assume what someone's going through and recognize that you need to be as mindful and as respectful as possible. And it's okay to be curious and it's okay not to know, but there are ways where that curiosity can be presented respectfully. And so much of that has to do with the approach and the language that you're using beforehand. Thank you for that. You have taught me so many things and you may not even know (laughs) that you have taught me many things, Jesse. For example, in the way that I now look at colors and look at what I put out there, whether it is a handout, my website, something on, on social media, on Instagram, on Facebook, I constantly wonder, is this variation of color, is it going to be inclusive? Is the lettering going to be readable? Is there enough contrast that I can include people who have any difficulty seeing contrast? really want to thank you for your contribution to my life. Thank you so much. Yeah, that's very awesome to hear. I absolutely love hearing that because it's it's so true. That's something that I try to put out on my social media and I'm always encouraging people to do. So uh, it's very, very cool that people have done that. And I'm very grateful to be an inspiration for that because... <laughs> Everyone deserves access to all information and it should never be a thing of like, oh, it's, you know, it's just not given in that font color and that size. So sorry, you don't know what I'm doing. You can't, you know, be exposed to my information. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. Thank you for raising my awareness about the use of colors and how, how I can make 
things in a way that, again, they're more accessible and more inclusive. Because I do believe that whenever we include more and more people with all their beautiful gifts, all their unique issues and their unique challenges that we all have as human beings, our particular package of challenges is, you know, perhaps different for, for all of us, but we all have challenges. And the more we can include one another, the richer our life experience is. It doesn't take away, it adds to it. 100%. That's the whole part of inclusivity is it's all ability levels, all skin colors, all genders, all like it's, it's everyone. And there's so much space for that. And there really truly is no need for us to be separate. And I think that so much of that comes down to the language that we use and how we choose to connect with other people and how we choose to, if we don't understand something, we ask questions and we get to know people more and we do research so we can bridge the gap between these types of things that separate us. Because I think so much of it, like I said, is just people not knowing and people might get uncomfortable about the things that they don't know or they don't have exposure to it. So they don't work to expose themselves or they come into contact with someone they don't understand, whether it's a disabled person, whether it's a trans person, whatever. And they just say, I don't understand this. I'm not used to it. So I'm just going to deny it or push away from it. And that does nothing for us at all as a whole of society. So I think the more that we can say, hey, maybe you're different than me and maybe I'll never understand what you experience. But I still want to be educated. I want to know how I can do better. I want to know how I can use inclusive language. I want to know how I can do inclusive things so that all of us feel validated and loved and accepted, which is what we all deserve, regardless of who we are. So I think that's like the most important message that any of us can really put out there. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. I want to ask you one last question. Are there any messages people have said to you that have really contributed to your well-being, to your feeling confident about yourself, to acknowledging where you are and keep moving forward? Yes, I've been very fortunate to be involved with organizations for a very long time now. So I've met so many people who are blind or visually impaired who have just given me amazing advice. But there is one person and one circumstance that stands out. And it is something that I genuinely think of every single day. I remember years ago, maybe four or five years ago, I was asked last minute to speak at this gala for the Foundation Fighting Blindness, share a little bit about my story. Very excited. I go and 30 minutes before I step on stage, Stevie Wonder walks into the event and I start losing my mind. Obviously, I'm about to speak in front of Stevie Wonder about blindness. Like, oh man, I was uh, freaking out. Wow. I go up and I do my thing and I speak. And afterwards, someone comes up to me and says that Stevie wants to meet you. So they pull me up and he's, of course, surrounded by people. They take me to him and it's like a two second interaction that I had with him. He just said, amazing speech. I love what you said. And he said, people like us who are blind are given this blindness as a gift because we are here to show those who have eyesight how to have vision. And it just 
it just struck such a chord with me. He's like, you were chosen to experience life in this way because of what a powerful message it is for all these other people who don't have the same perspective on life as you do. And just hearing it in that way, really, I think about it every single day. Like I am given this gift and this unique opportunity and this unique life experience to genuinely make the world a better place. And I, I don't think that there's anything I could ask for. I get to be who I truly am and who I truly am is making the world better. It's amazing with all the struggles and the depression and everything that can come from this disability. It is one of my favorite things about myself and it is such a strength and truly, truly a blessing. So the the biggest thing that sticks with me and another message that I'm also trying to uh, push out there. Wow, Jesse, thank you so much. Jesse, there's an event coming up soon here in Northern California where I live and where you are at this moment. Do you want to tell us a little bit about about this? Yes, definitely. I am the Los Angeles chapter president. So I have been doing the Los Angeles Vision Walk where I've lived most of my life, but I just recently moved up to San Francisco. So I'm getting involved with the Bay Area chapter for the foundation. And it's great because I've never been able to participate in a Vision Walk outside of Los Angeles. So the Bay Area Vision Walk, it's their 17th annual walk. And it will be held on Saturday, May 13th. And it will be at Golden Gate Park. And this is just such an exciting event because the vision walks are all about raising money for blindness research. So the Foundation Finding Blindness is all about finding cures and treatments for retinal degenerative conditions such as the one that I have, retinitis pigmentosa. So if anyone wants to come out to the walk and just have a nice, fun day walking in the sunshine, enjoying, you know, a great event, please come and join us. But you can also join a team. You can create a team. You can fundraise. You can spread the word. This is definitely open to kids and animals and everyone who wants to get involved. And I really think that There's a lot of different ways to get involved, like I said, and this can mean different things to different people, but such a great opportunity to support an important cause, something that quite literally could change my life if we find cures and treatments. So I highly encourage anyone who wants to join to get involved. Yes. And if you want to join our team, which is Jesse's NoCal Fan Club, if you would like to join us or donate money, I will add the link in the show notes so you can come and walk with us. I'll be walking on May 13th with Jesse being part of our fan club. So I'm going to add the link in the show notes and please either join us or donate to our team or donate to the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Now, Jesse, there are other things that you do. You are a speaker. You are an artist. You have a beautiful life and a lot of inspiration that you share on social media. Can you tell us where to find you? I am big on Instagram and TikTok. I like to use those platforms to spread awareness about my blindness and about breaking down stigmas and also just about my mental health struggles and my story and how I cultivate a great life for myself. 
So if you want to follow along with me on social media, I would love that. On Instagram, you can find me at Jess Woe, J-E-S-S-W-O. And on TikTok, you can find me as Badass Blind Babe. Quite a mouthful, but Badass Blind Babe. And that is also the name of my podcast. So I have a podcast, Badass Blind Babe, where I talk about all things self-love and my blindness and all of that. And that is available on every major platform, wherever you find your podcasts, you can find me there. So I hope you guys tune in and follow along to the journey. (laughs) Yes, do, because the Baddest Blind Babe podcast is one of my favorite podcasts. I do listen every time you put an episode out. I listen to all of them. And I really love what you share. You share so much about communication and language, Jesse. And every time I listen to one of those, I feel inspired. I feel more equipped and more empowered. So please keep doing your podcast. We need you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I just appreciate you having me on the show and allowing me to share my story. And I got to say, I very much appreciate what you do and giving people like me the platform to not only share, but also you and I can kind of come together and teach people how they can be more inclusive and kinder. And like I said, so much of that has to do with the language that we use. So your podcast is also one of my favorites and I'm always resonating and learning from you. And I think that's a beautiful thing that we can do that for each other. So we're both uh, pretty badass. So we got to keep that going. Yes, we are. are. As you are listening to this episode, you can all recognize that Jesse is someone who's learned to live in alignment with her deepest values. And next week, I'm going to talk about a book that can also inspire you to do that. So thank you so much for listening. Jesse, my heart is full of gratitude for you, for what you do and for being here at the Language Alchemy podcast. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Until next week. And as we say in Argentina, ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao. Original music by Gary Lapo. You can find all links in the show notes at languagealchemy.com.